Hello and welcome everyone to this Innovation Forum webinar. My name is Toby Webb, founder of Innovation Forum. I'd really like to thank my colleagues, B. Stevenson and Tanya Richard, for putting this together. Um, and of course, the good folk of Bayer who have helped make all this happen and catalyze this event today. Innovation Forum uh, does things like this. We do conferences, we do webinars, we do research, we do some critical friend advisory work, we convene stakeholders, and we talk about very difficult issues in land use, agriculture, forestry, plastics, packaging, apparel and textiles, human rights, ethical procurement and other areas. We've been doing that for about 10 years. We have a community of about 50,000 executives, NGOs, public policy folks and others, academics, etc. worldwide, of which perhaps you may be one. Um, and thank you for joining us today for this discussion on how agri-food stakeholders can support European farmers in the regenerative transition. But our objective today is to be very practical indeed. We want to have uh, an honest and frank farmer-centric conversation about some of the biggest agricultural challenges in Europe, but not just to sit here on Zoom and do the, the verbal equivalent of doom scrolling by moaning about how terrible everything is and, oh no, isn't climate change heating the planet? It is. It's terribly frightening. We're all aware of that. What we want to do is to talk about how we unlock innovation. How do we turn challenges into opportunity? Um, now, we know there are challenges. We need to talk about them, but we also need to talk about what we can do about that and how we can collaborate better, because collaboration, of course, is the most important word around these days in sustainability. And what we're hoping to do with this series, of which this is the first, is to focus on how we can do more than the average talking shop webinar or conference session. You've all been there, you go to a great session, it sounds great, and then you get back to your desk or you turn off Zoom and you think, well, so what? We're going to try and do something more than not answering that so what question. We're going to try and deliver a few more practical outcomes, um, at least some practical thinking on sessions like this, what they've delivered and how they can move the agenda forward. That's what Innovation Forum exists to do. And we hope this webinar will be a microcosm of that. So I'm delighted that we've got a number of agri-food stakeholders um, uh, on our panel. Joining us is Rob Shepherd from uh, Allenford Farms. And I will not make any jokes about nominative determinism, Rob. I'm sure you've heard them all a million times. And Allenford Farms, you can Google it, you can Google Rob, but he also works uh, with a wider community of farmers to help define and drive value from ecosystem services, which I'm sure he will mention briefly. Um, we're also going to hear from Bram van Hecker uh, from Grunekring, uh, and he's the, the president of that, which is an association of, of farmers, particularly young farmers working on sustainability, but his family are also in the farming game. So we'll hear from Bram first, then Rob. And then I'm going to ask Jens Hartmann, who's here uh, from Bayer Crop Science, head of the EMEA region, uh, to respond, along with Marie Elou from Mondelez, who's the Wellbeing and Sustainability Manager, and Natalie Smith, head of Sustainable Agriculture for Tesco. Uh, let me start with you, Bram. Uh, thanks for joining us. Love to hear about some of the challenges you face. But then, of course, as we've said, what we want to hear about is your views on how we can turn them into opportunities. How can we collaboratively raise our game to help you and your colleagues do better in the transition to regenerative farming? Over to you, Bram, and welcome. Uh, thanks, Toby. Yes, uh, Toby, to begin with, um, it's Grune Kring, but um, it was a good try. Um, it was a good try. That was uh, perfect. What what I can see from, from young farmers also um, at, at home at the farm of my parents is that, well, the, the passion is, is amazing. It's there and there's so many people that are passionate and that are willing to make the transition, that are willing to 
make sure that we farm more sustainable, um, better in all ways than we do right now. And they're also able to, to get there. But the, the issues around them, um, whether it be policy, whether it be socioeconomic, whether it be, of course, also ecological um, and environmental and climate-wise, become so big that they decide not to step into the sector. Just because they're hardworking, passionate, and well-educated, they find a job anywhere. Um, and, and then the, the struggle is, okay, how, how can you actually make it happen um, yeah, with, with those people that, 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 you now, that, that for now it's even hard to, um, to get in? Because those people are really willing to. Then next to that, I think there's, what is also positive is that the, the tools are there. The knowledge is there. There's already plenty of innovation around and there's more coming. We can see that. Um, the awareness is there. The only thing is, is that with everything we have, we cannot ensure the right price for those that are doing it. And we cannot ensure the right policy for those that are that are actually having to do it at, at the farm. And and then, so that's, those are the challenges. I promise to, to talk in solutions. Um, what, what I see as solutions there, there's, there's two things. Um, the first is for, for everybody that is in the chain, from the people that deliver to the farmer, that, that yeah, to the people that make from farm produce things that uh, you can eat with your fork or not with your fork. Everything between that, they need to get in and look, okay, how can we make it better for everybody? And that, 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 that includes thinking about price, that includes thinking about policy and to make it holistic. Because now we think, also, as farmers, very much an or small part of the chain. While actually we should feel that we're all one big chain together, that would make us so much stronger. I'm looking for, to also Mondelea and Tesco, for example, to also think in that way, even stronger than they do right now. Secondly, um, what we need is, um, is policymakers that, uh, that really see the challenges ahead, put into um, the, 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 yeah, make sure that we can we can get there, but also think, okay, how can we first get there? And next to that, also make sure that, that farmers still step in. Now we only see new rules coming, while we actually need rules that, of course, make the challenge, uh, make sure we, we overcome the challenge on the one hand, but on the other hand, also make sure young farmers uh, step into it, step into the sector. And and that is what we miss right now from those policymakers. They should not only put, put the ambition high, but also enable us to uh, get there. That will be it from, uh, from my first comments. Okay. And I think most of the viewers and listeners will be familiar with the work of Tesco, Mondelez and, and Bayer. But just give us the sort of two lines on, on your organization, the scale, just so we can put your remarks into context of how you operate. So what we do with, with Grüne Kring, we're a young farmers organization. We, um, we bring together young farmers. We also represent them towards the government. And what, the, the, what we really um, want to do is to discuss with with the young farmers, also by the young farms, it's, it's it's young farms organizing it themselves. Think, okay, how do we see our future? How can we make sure that the challenges that that are clearly there in terms of biodiversity, in terms of climate, then we can overcome those challenges. And then also getting communication with the government. The clear example that we have right now is we discussed the young farmers test, for example, and now we're talking to governments, uh, for us European, Flemish, federal government, and and telling them, I mean, we don't mind all the nature climate legislation that you bring at us but put a young farmers test on that so we can also ensure that it helps young farmers instead of working against them um so these are the the, the key things uh, what we do and and how we want to like make sure that things get going 
Jens, let me come to you. Um, you've heard what Bram had, has had to say. Um, some of that will be very familiar to you. Really interested to hear your kind of on-the-spot views of, as to how those of us on this webinar, not just Bayer, can actually collaborate better to try and meet some of these challenges that Bram has outlined, and also how we can maximise them into opportunities. Thank you, Toby. And um, I'm really, really excited to, um, to, to join the Innovation Forum today and have such, such a panel here really of, of stakeholders <clears throat> across the entire value chain. Now, perhaps to start with, first of all, commonality, um, Bram, what I noticed is you talked about the young farmers you represent and you talked about that passion for agriculture and that excitement to, um, to drive sustainable agriculture forward. And that's actually what keeps me going as head of our business here in EMEA. We've got 5,000 employees and, and day in and day out, the entire organization, the entire team is, is out there to, to drive sustainable agriculture going forward and create, create that impact. No? Um, but, but perhaps, perhaps then, then going a little bit more concrete Bram, to, to the points you made, first of all, the problem statements and then, and then the solution of we, as, as a company uh, being in the ag sector for, yeah, for more than 100 years by now, we actually absolutely, since the beginning of, of, of our business, believe in the power of, of sustainable farming and offer our fullest, fullest support to farmers on their sustainability journey. Because, because without the farmers having success, without farmers being successful, also we as a company couldn't thrive and drive our innovative portfolio further. Now, looking at the challenges you mentioned, they, those, are, those are absolutely enormous. We have um, climate change, of course. We, as a company, deliver, committed to deliver that world-class innovation to address that that um, challenge of, 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 of climate change, but also absolutely committed to deliver that world-class innovation, pioneering digital digital transformation to, to support, to support the, the, the ag sector. And we work very, very closely, and now coming to, to Bram, the points you made, um, with food chain partners, for example, with our networks of, of forwards farms. We work, we work downstream to, to address those, those problems really really all together. And how, how do we do that? Now, first of all, if I talk about innovation, if I talk about, about our portfolio, it's very, very clear that we only, we only um, innovate, we only develop new solutions for our customer if they all, all um, um, address those topics of sustainability you, you talked about uh, before. So they need to reduce the impact of, of um, climate footprint. They need to minimize the impact of um, with regard to environmental um, with regard to, 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 to the environment when it comes to crop protection and of course we need to we need to enhance the, um, the um, water use efficiency going forward and that means on the one hand side from our point of view to move more from individual products to to a solution-based approach across our crop protection portfolio including our seeds and then then powerfully enabled by, by our digital solutions. But then on the other hand side also, um, as you mentioned, and I'm very happy that we have Mondelez, that we have Marie here, and we have Natalie here from Tesco, is to really engage in that food value chain partnerships going, going downstream and, and, and working together, sitting at the table and say, well, what do we need to address in terms of farmer challenges? What do we need to address in terms of residues? What do we need to address in terms of uh, market accessibility? to then provide our system-based approach that I talked before in terms of portfolio, in terms of 
crop protection in terms of seed and in terms of um, digital enablement to drive that sustainable advancement advancements going forward and and Toby I think I, I leave it leave it here for the time being and then then we for sure we go more into detail later on as we speak. Sure thank you Jens. I think we'll, we'll do a round of speaker res- other speaker responses to, to what Bram's had to say. Marie uh, you've been listening carefully what are your thoughts about some of this? Uh, thank you very much, Toby. So um, just to, to, to position quickly, uh, so I lead the Harmony Programme, which is the Mondelez International Wheat Sustainability Programme in Europe, which was created 15 years ago, together with uh, our wheat chain and many agronomists, specialists and NGOs. Um, I think what I've heard so far uh, resonates super well with the, the type of approach that uh, we have been following uh, over the past 15 years on this programme. Uh, which is putting the farmer at the heart of, uh, of our full process and uh, building this uh, one chain together, as you were referring to, Bram. Um, I think uh, we cannot do anything without them, uh, and we need them in order to be able to drive some change uh, from an environmental standpoint, but also drive some added value for our business. So I think uh, it's super important to work in a local partnership approach with our farmer in a co-construction mindset to make sure we drive a change of paradigm in, in the end for uh, the environment, but for our brands as well. Um, so how do we uh, do that? How are we planning to do that at Mondelez International with uh, our Harmony Wheat program in Europe? I think first, uh, we work with a very strong co-construction mindset, as I was referring to earlier. We have a charter of farming practices that we ask our farmers to implement on the ground, and every single change of farming practice is fully discussed with our wheat chain. We organize workshops with our cooperatives and farmers on the ground to make sure that the changes that we are suggesting to boost the environmental impact is possible, is feasible, is driving some impact for them and is not jeopardizing yield or margin, which obviously is not the end objective. We do that also through uh, pilot projects. And I will just give one example, which is very relevant in terms of, of climate, as we just uh, discussed about this uh, theme earlier. Um, we, dis- we really believe in co-building uh, innovation in partnership with the farmers to enable them to really embark with us in this journey and trust the fact that those new practices that we are pr- proposing are working uh, will drive some change on the ground. Uh, to give you one example, uh, we have one pilot project now that we kicked off last year to help decrease greenhouse gas emissions per wheat production. Uh, we kicked, kicked off actually an on-field initiative implemented in a selection of uh, cooperatives in France uh, with the aim to modernize um, our biscuit wheat portfolio. So we are screening together with our farmers biscuit wheat varieties based on their optimal environmental, technological, and farmer profitability performance in multiple sites. And we are making sure that our farmers are testimony of the results of those pilot projects. And why is it good? Because we are innovating together with the wheat chain, but we also, uh, I would say, uh, seeing the change and the impact together in order to really feel part of a a co-building approach to make sure we success uh, together. I think the second point uh, that resonated a bit differently to what I heard from you, Bram, uh, because we do uh, reach out a lot to our wheat chain and our farmers to understand what they need uh, from us to support them in this transition. And on knowledge, actually, they uh, they reached out to us saying, we probably need a bit more. We need more knowledge formalized. 
um, so that we gain this expertise uh, in order to make sure we trust also that what you are suggesting to put on the ground will not jeopardize our situation. So what we have done is create what we call Harmony Academy, which is a digital platform created specifically for our farmers, which is a simple application on smartphones or computers that is offering technical training modules to support the strengthened charter farming practices we have now. It also gives to the wheat chain the possibility to dialogue, to exchange, to uh, share good practices. And we are launching that as we speak. So we will be able to share some news about the topic if it's functioning well. Uh, but of course, it's a continuous improvement approach. We'll gather feedback to make sure we can enhance uh, the, the impact of that type of tool. But we believe also we need training on the ground. So we've kicked off what we call Harmony Tour, which is trainings on the ground with experts, but also with the full chain. So we invite, of course, uh, farmers, we invite cooperatives, we invite millers, we invite also R&D experts uh, in, within our company, we invite also our plants. So that really the farmers have a full visibility on the full uh, value chain from the biscuit to, from the grain, sorry, to the biscuit. And I think last but not least, uh, something that resonated well when you said, Bram, that uh, we needed to feel one big chain together. I think our role as Mondelez uh, International is to really engage our consumers, which is in the end, you know, the, the last, uh, last, uh, last element of the chain, right, in this journey with us. We need to find a, a good way, a good narrative, a good way to engage our consumers in this sustainable journey with us. Because if our consumers in the end believe, uh, uh, appreciate and value everything we do with our wheat chain on the ground, they will want to invest more and more into uh, biscuits that are driving those types of changes on the ground. And this year we are evolving the way we talk to our consumers by involving them in this uh, journey with us. So we are uh, asking our consumers when they buy a pack of biscuit to contribute to a bee hotel installed in the Harmony Mellifers Fellows around our Harmony field. And this is an initiative to really boost biodiversity. One of the big threats of, of, of biodiversity really is the destruction of the habitat. Um, and we are really engaging the consumers with us because our objective is really to consider the full wheat chain from the farmer to the consumer as one big team that all work towards the same objective. Marie, thank you. Much uh, food for thought there, no pun intended. Natalie, let's turn to you. You get the advantage in this bit of going last, but you're not allowed to say, I fully agree with everything that's been said and it's all been said. You've got to add something else here. Yeah, I, I'm a, I will say that I do agree with Brad's point in terms of more and better collaboration, I think that is going to have to be key. I think, and that works both ways in terms of our farmers better understanding what's important to us and what's important to our customers, um, what they value, what they may not value as much, and vice versa. So I do think that's hugely important. In terms of how we manage that as a business, I mean, that Tesco's, Tesco's is a, a significant business from a UK perspective, where UK agriculture's biggest customer. Though I, we take a bit of a pyramid approach in that um, we will have really close, strong working relationships with a sector of our supply base. And that's an opportunity for us to understand the challenges and opportunities on farm. Um, I, and we have sustainable farming groups in place as part of that. So. A really good um, example of that is our sustainable dairy group that has been in place and established for, I think, in 16 years now. 
Um, and that works across all of the pillars that we focus on. So that's around continuous improvement in terms of animal health and welfare. Obviously, clearly, uh, we're more focused around environmental impact. So how they can support um, us to deliver against our decarbonisation plans, how they can support in terms of protecting or restoring nature. And then the final part is we, this particular group, which is around 500 farmers, we have production model in place as well so that's sort of managing uh that um fair price i guess for that particular supply chain what i would say is that given my team manages the relationship we have with farmers across a number of different sectors so all of the all of the proteins that come into Tesco's today as well as our uk produce supply chain as well as um, our agriculture supply chains and also marine as well there's a huge variation in terms of how those supply chains function what works um well what the opportunities are and what sort of um relationship and partnerships you can have in place across those different supply chains and we do we do have to there isn't a one size fits all as usual we do manage those slightly differently and they do operate in slightly different ways um so as far as how we use those sustainable farming groups um they're an opportunity, as I said, for us to be able to understand what works. It's an opportunity. I think um, innovation and R&D is obviously going to be key in terms of how we can all deliver against uh, the challenges we're looking into in terms of climate change um, and biodiversity challenges, and then how we can then scale that up across our broader supply chain. And that, I guess, is an opportunity for us to be working more collaboratively um, across the industry. So it may not necessarily be direct farmer relationships, but more around collaborative working. So um, I guess in summary, fully agree. And I think the more that we can do to better understand each part of the supply chain and what's needed within each part of the supply chain, the better. Thanks very much. Um, in the interest of time, we're going to move along to, to Rob. Um, Rob, as, as I did with Bram, not, not everyone's going to know your organisation. Uh, they, they're aware of the work of Mondelez, Tesco and Bayer, in, in, I think, in more detail. So just give us the, the two sentences on Allenford and your wider work, and then love to hear from you on, uh, on your thoughts on how we uh, solve the challenges with innovation of the regenerative transition. Rob. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry I dropped out and I miss most of Bram's talk. So I'm kind of flying on instruments here. And I hope that I don't repeat too much of what he said. But our sort of gig at home is that we lead sort of very much on a conservation footage. So the farm was one of the first uh, farmer cluster groups, we call it in the UK, which are altruistic uh, groups of farmers that get together to try and improve biodiversity in their neighborhood. And it's altruism, which is essentially underpinning this movement that is happening in agriculture in the UK, away from what we call conventional farming to regenerative farming. On the, then we decided to take those cluster groups and form a group called the Environmental Farmers Group, which is a cooperative. We have about 100 members so far. We've been going for a year. I think we've got about 60 or 70,000 hectares. Uh, and the idea of this is that we monetize our natural capital. Um, and I see this, which I'll go into in a minute, as one of the solutions to how we get regenerative farming uh, more widespread across the UK. But so going back to my thoughts on um, the challenges of 
uh, regenerative farming. One of the challenges is actually properly defining it uh, to achieve a, a desired sort of outcome in agriculture. Practices need to vary across regions, so we can't apply the same practices in the east, northeast of England that we apply in my area in the southwest. And we certainly can't apply those same practices worldwide. Uh, you probably have heard from Professor Ken Giller from Wageningen University. He's written widely on this subject and he's well worth reading. Um, so currently, regen farming is underpinned by altruism. Um, we have a, a sort of festival show here called Groundswell in East Anglia. It's getting bigger and bigger every year. And this is evidence that farmers are taking up the mantle to try and become more sustainable because at the moment there's no monetary advantage to it happening. So the risks that apply to me as a farmer um, are that we have to change our farming system. Um, and we could easily end up with a yield loss as a result. We could end up with a lead time to profitability when changing our method. And we may have to invest a lot of money in specialist equipment because all the new gear, you know, drills to do direct drilling are 150,000 pound. It's a big risk to take. Um, and a lot of people have come unstuck by investing and then not getting a feedback because they have ended up with lower yields as a result of changing practice. Another problem we have, I think that Jens may have touched on this, is our chemical armory. Um, if we're going to change our uh, types of farming, we need a, a different armory. Um, if we lose glyphosate in the UK system of regenerative farming at the moment, we're we're pretty shot and we struggle to carry on without once changing again. And we certainly are not getting a price premium that is attracting anyone to becoming more sustainable. Um, we're involved in quite a lot of uh, studies on the farm uh, with universities of Cambridge and Sheffield at the moment within our cluster group uh, to, to really study a four-year transition over on the farm with three control blocks on, I think, about 7,000 hectares. Uh, we have three, about 12, I think, uh, control blocks of 50 hectares on each farm, um, where one uh, block is kept as conventional farming. And I mustn't use that word in a weaponized sense either, because I'm fed up with people weaponizing the word conventional, because there's a lot of conventional farmers out there who are very skillful, um, and very good at their job and producing a lot of uh, a lot of food. So there's one block of conventional, one block of what we call transitionary, which is over the four years moving from conventional to regen, and one block that we already consider to be regen. And we're doing a lot of study on that land, on the biodiversity of that land, the species of the land, the soil health, and even analysing the crops that come off it to see if they vary at all. Um, so, just to conclude now, we'll go to the supply chain. The supply chain between agriculture and the consumer in the UK, in my view, is completely broken. We've been through a tremendously difficult two-year period, particularly if you're in pigs like I am. Um, and I cannot really see any progress being made to improve that supply chain. But I do see, see one solution to advance regen ag is to, to monetize the natural capital that we have on our farms because regen practices 
can produce money back for them. For instance, regen practices improve biodiversity. There's several planning laws now in the UK that require biodiversity net gain before building companies get planning permission. There's obviously the ESG element. There's laws there that companies have got to have an ESG part of their portfolio, which might encourage them to invest in regen practices on farm. And ultimately, of course, there's carbon to be sequestered, which we can argue is more likely to happen with a regen uh, productive situation. That's Rob. all I've got, Toby. <laughs> That's pretty good, Rob. Thank you. Has anyone come to you to talk about the potential of what they've called insetting? as a solution to what you've just mentioned? Is that a word that's bandied around among your group? And, and, and is, it, is it a conversation that's happening? Yeah, so it's a, it's a well-worn word and, uh, and it's something, again, what we've got to understand with the natural capital monetization, it's a very, very immature market and everyone's trying to feed that feel their way. And it's offset that it's, uh, you know, it's the wild west out there. But we, we have got a very, very good staff with our environmental group operation and we are looking at pretty well every avenue of trying to monetize the capital natural capital that is owned by the farmers thank you natalie let me come to you first of all then um is is incessing part of the answer what are some of the other innovations and solutions that we can think about that could help rob and his colleagues uh, get that investment they need for the regen transition um yeah, so, so to answer like, the initial point, I, I mean, in terms of our longer-term strategy, we definitely see um, regen as part of the solution to solve some challenges in terms of climate change and biodiversity loss, so I 100% agree on that. From a retail perspective, absolutely the challenge is how do you, how do you talk about that? How do, how do you market that? How do you talk about that to customers so that it makes sense to them and they can see the value that that is adding. Um, I guess the other thing we also have in mind is what does that look like in terms of the products we sell in store as well? Because ultimately, customers, when they shop, they're looking at price and quality, and then they would have some expectations behind that in terms of production standards that may not necessarily be front of mind when they're in front of the shelf purchasing so so quality and price are obviously the top two that they would focus on so how, how do we start to um, start to talk about regen in a positive way so that we can take our customers with us in terms of um you know moving moving the industry in that direction but yeah completely agree that it's definitely part solution to some of the challenges that we're facing um, I think alongside of that, there's still a huge amount more we could do in terms of productivity and efficiency of our farm that will vary, again, and on the um, production system. So more so, I guess, within our beef and cheap sectors, less so within our bigger poultry sectors. Um, and then, uh, yeah, alongside that, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the roles of of innovation I think would be hugely important and it's something we focus on quite closely so we actually have a program in place called the Agri-T-Gen uh, where I mean there's so much innovation out there and it's trying to filter the sort of in innovation on across the three pillars of work that we focus on uh, so that we can we can manage some of the risks around testing and trialing this sort of innovation and failing um, rather than that risk sitting uh, with our farmers within our 
from supply chain. So um, the question around insetting is is one that we get asked a lot, and we I guess we're in, in the position at the moment where we we don't feel that there's enough governance in place at the moment for us to be able to commit to that. Um, we we have a partnership in place with WWF. We're doing a lot of work with them um, to understand what the what the opportunities are, what the challenges are, and I guess at the moment we definitely feel that we don't have the confidence in terms of uh, the voluntary markets and the governance that's that's in place at the moment for us to look to invest in that. That's not to say that there won't be an opportunity in the future, but I think that's our position as of today. Okay, thank you, Natalie. Um, just a quick comment on that. In, in my spare time, I, I run something called the uh, Sustainable Wine Roundtable, uh, of which Tesco is not yet a member, but I'm sure you will be very soon. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we have a similar challenge, but of course, wine has built in traceability. So we've been advised that we should just set up our own scheme and just go and do baseline measurements, set a price, add a nature premium, pull the money of the retail and distribution members, and just go and get on with it. Um, which is, which sounds like a great idea, but as you say, it's incredibly complicated when we sit down with the value chain and wine and say, okay, from farmer to retailer, what are we calculating and where? So yeah, I have sympathy with the with the challenges there. It is something we're going to try and do anyway. Um, we may not succeed, uh, but uh, you know the opportunity is significant. Rob, just briefly, if you have a comment on this, and then I'm going to turn to Marie. Rob, just my only comment on insetting, Toby. Thank you very much, and thank you, Natalie. Is that we've got to be very very careful as farmers about who owns this natural capital, and our fear is obviously that it's going to be stolen by us with no premium. Okay, so that, that's our, that's why we're very hesitant. And we say to farmers, you own that natural capital, not the rest of the supply chain. Thank you. Yeah, we've seen that debate happen in Indonesia, for example, where they shut down you know, a lot of the Red Plus project credit sales and said, right, um, this carbon belongs to us. Well, why are you selling it on the open markets? I mean, that is a classic issue. Um, Jens briefly, and then Bram briefly on this topic. And then I'm going to turn to Marie for general reflections on Rob's comments. Jens. Um, correct. Two, two or three comments on, on Rob, what you said, which I thought was very well resonating um, in general with the topic and why we are here in, in, in this group is it's on the one hand side, this move from, from, from products to systems I was talking about earlier on when you were when you're offline on, on, on the innovation piece, you mentioned, of course, the very, very individual important components of, of sustainable agriculture, but, but very, very important as well as the, the, the aspect you raised on, on the outcome. Of, of regenerative act to create that that impact and of course that can that can vary from from farm to farm that can vary from from problem to problem statement you can as you said it can be about <clears throat> the, the yield increase it can be about improving um, productivity it can be at the same time also about how do i improve my soil health um, which could be which could be for example with um with different crop rotations, which could be also with, with um, cover cropping. It could be, how do I restore um, diversity or what do I do um, to, to do um, in, the, in the area of climate change? And, and from there, going towards the topic of, of insetting, um, what was uh, mentioned by, by you and also um, Natalie, what, what you talked about, very, very important aspect here is, of course, first of all, the baselining to, to get a feeling a little bit what I'm actually dealing with at the moment um, with regard to the reality of the field and what is my starting point when I talk about regenerative ag and, and, and then the outcome and the very, very important aspect there is, of course, digital. No? 
because with with digital agriculture with the with the with the um, ability to to generate more data and through those data create that insights you will be in a position to to then set your base so to say and then and then take it from there and say well if it's now about regenerative ag where do i where do i put the put the lever on and, and which which direction do you go so so the digitalization data and from data to insights is a massively important aspect of of this topic in in general thank you jens and i think that's a really important point i mean we run a lot of conferences in this space and the amount of tech companies we're seeing and every year it seems like they can do a closer up more in-depth assessment at a lower price uh, and there's you know it's one of the best tech booms we've ever seen i think in terms of its potential impact on the environment and certainly from a grape growing point of view we're, we're going to be very reliant on technology for that with with smallholders and medium landhold land owners so it's going to be interesting to see how that works out marie i'm going to come to you in a minute but bram did want to say something and i'm conscious you've you've been listening carefully bram to, to a lot of conversations here. so let's bring you in briefly and then i'll turn to marie for thoughts on what rob had to say and, and, and anything else bram yep so on, on insetting i just wanted to um I was searching for the applause knob, uh, applause button. I really wanted to 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 follow on what what Rob said. I, I completely agree that the natural capital needs to stay in the farmer's hand. But second to that, and maybe Marie can already. I'll, I'll keep it briefly, but Marie can can maybe already reflect on that. It's very important to know that. I mean, it's fine and nice to talk about regenerative, and it's it's very in, important how to get there and how we get the chain along. But there's one thing, and it's price. It's the socioeconomic part. A farmer can only do it. If it's um, if it's socially economic, if it's it's if it's economically viable, um, and and that's where I often see where it's 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 not going on, where supermarkets um, companies in the chain say, oh yes, we want this, we would love this even, but we don't want or we cannot pay the price for it. Um, I would really like to hear some more reflections on that because that's the core part for me of a transition. Absolutely, as the old movie line says, show me the money. Um, let's talk a bit about that. Um, Marie, uh, what are your thoughts on that and on what Rob had to say? And indeed, any other points? I think I, I have two reflections. So one uh, regarding what uh, Rob and Bram uh, said about uh, cost uh, price and one around what uh, Natalie explained around uh, quality. So if I start with the first one, uh, we with the Harmony program at Mondelez fully agree uh, with the fact that we need uh, to pay a premium to our farmers to grow more sustainable wheat for us. We know that more sustainable wheat costs more than conventional wheat, even if conventional is not the right word. I do fully agree with you, Jens, on, on this. Um, and we, we need to play our part as, uh, as a manufacturer in that uh, chain. We need to finance that transition uh, together with our farmers. Uh, of course, finance, uh, the financing needs to come from both ends, but we need to be an active part of it. With the Harmony program, we do actually pay a premium per ton of wheat for, uh, to each of our farmers growing wheat for us. And we have been doing so for 15 years and we will continue. Uh, the financial support is the first element uh, for us in order to help our uh, farmers in this transition. What we are well aware of is that regenerative agriculture will help from a PNL standpoint in the future. It will have a positive impact on yield. It will have a positive impact on margin. But in the transition phase, it will have a negative, a flat maybe, but negative impact on most of the situations. So the aim of our premium is really to make sure that we support the, those farmers in this transition phase 
until they get really the, the concrete results on the ground. So that's a firm belief that we will continue uh, addressing in the future and paying to our firms. The second point I wanted to, to react on uh, was uh, Natalie's point on quality. I do fully agree that uh, in the end, everything we do when it comes to regenerative agriculture needs to bring value to the end consumer. It needs to add value uh, so that consumers in the end feel part of this full journey. It needs to add value when it comes to taste because this is the first driver of many of uh, the categories we work in. It needs to drive quality and it needs to uh, get give the feeling to the consumer that uh, he or she does what's right, does what's right from a nutrition standpoint, does what's right from a planet uh, protection standpoint. So I think if we double click on uh, the quality aspect, uh, we agree that we need to demonstrate scientifically that more sustainable wheat is actually better quality wheat. We have kicked off a big project two years ago with our crop science team globally at Mondelez to be able to demonstrate that the Harmony wheat that we grow has a potential benefit when it comes to quality, when it comes to the color of the end biscuit, when it comes to the, the texture of the mass, when it comes to uh, the gluten profile of the product. Today, we are running all those deep analysis to be able to have some scientific proof. And we are really hoping that in the end, we will be able to have strong quality claims around more sustainable wheat, because in the end, that's what consumers are looking for. And that will add value uh, all through the, the, the supply chain. And the second point is that we need, as I was referring to earlier, to communicate also the quality that uh, it brings to the environment, to our consumers, so that they are willing to prioritize brands that invest in sustainable agriculture and, in the end, finance the regenerative agriculture transition. Thanks very much, uh, Maria. I said we'd bring in some of the audience points, so let me do that now. Uh, Jens, this might be a point for you to start on. Our most popular question is around plausible data from LCA analysis in the agricultural sector. To paraphrase the question, um, we, we know there are different impacts on the environment from different practices. To evaluate these, we need more consistent and credible data from farmers. But is there, is there a consistent trend in moving towards that in different farming practices? So I suppose it's saying, you know, let's celebrate, understand the difference. But uh, are we moving towards a more consistent methodology to one approach to understand uh, impacts? What are your views on that, Jens? No, 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 absolutely, and um, and and Toby, I think that's a very valid um, valid point made in in the chat. And moving from individual products to to systems, and then from those systems to outcome, will definitely, of course, mean also that we will over time develop develop um, data sets, develop criteria to to not only address that individual component of innovation, but that we need to look at look at it. At, at a, from a broader scale, and that's exactly what I was talking about before. If you talk about regenerative ag, where it's about producing more and, and restoring more, we need to get towards an outcome-based system. No? And then when we talk about the outcome-based angle to, to regenerative ag, to ask ourselves, well, what is that really then mean in reality, which could be on the one hand side, as we talked about the yield factor, it could be the impact on biodiversity, it could be the impact on soil health, and that will then naturally mean that we need to get to those those criteria also when it comes to to the data set. So fully support that that point here. Thank you. Any other brief comments on that point before we move on? Vigorous yeah. not around. 
I'll just add a quick one of that. Thing. Go ahead, Natalie. Just as in completely appreciate the frustration, you know, the the tens of carbon and tools out there. They all give you a slightly different answer from a policy perspective across the UK. Uh, you know, devolved governments are doing slightly different to what's happening in England in terms of supporting carbon footprinting. That is massively frustrating. I guess from our perspective in terms of advice and guidance that we give to our farmers that we have been supporting carbon footprint um, ourselves directly, um, so supporting the cost of those, is just to stick to one tool. Um, so at least you can set yourself a baseline and then continue to uh, measure against that baseline. But work is in progress, certainly in the UK, and I mentioned that basically in Europe as well, in terms of trying to uh, get uh, one tool that rules them all so that we can that consistency go forward. Thank you. Um, we have a question from Stefan Thomas, which echoes another popular question above. Uh, they're basically telling you to cheer up, Rob. Uh, and what they're saying is, you know, um, surely there's a business case here in the end for Regen. So um, is the challenge the transition? And then the build sort of point from that is in your, you know, you talk about monetizing national capital Who's going to pay for that? And I imagine that's a question you ask all the time yourself, Rob. But, you know, who should pay you? And is the challenge in that sort of transition, how long is that transition? Rob? So, uh, firstly, I'm extremely happy <laughs> because I'm in the lucky position to be able to produce food or not produce food. Because as Bram will understand as well, we don't have to produce food on our land, Okay. So there's all sorts of other ways of earning income. So I'm extremely happy. Um, on the terms of who's going to pay for the natural capital, well, the, who's going to pay for the natural capital in, in our uh, cooperative operation? Firstly, it's going to be building companies that need the biodiversity net gain to achieve planning permission, building companies to, who have to achieve uh, nutrient neutrality on phosphates or nitrates and indeed water companies, if they want to achieve, achieve nutrient neutrality. Companies, uh, as I think I said in my talk, that need to achieve their ESG credits to carry on trading. And ultimately, every company that has to offset their carbon um, to become more carbon neutral will also. So it's, a, it's an $80 trillion industry out there. There's no end of people crawling and banging at our door to buy the natural capital. Uh, yes, I uh, going back just quickly to the regen and the commercial case for doing it. I mean, I don't think I've ever denied that there is a commercial case to do it. It's simply that there is a time lag between carrying out the operation and actually achieving profitability. Absolutely. Yeah, understood. Thank you. Um, Graham, I thought you might have something to add on this. Let me bring you in here. Yeah, I, I wanted to add something on that. Um, so although I understand what Rob says, um, I, I I want to add something, or I maybe disagree a bit with, with him. It might also be just a, the continental uh, or more island culture. I don't know. But um, for me, the, the question of becoming more regenerative is not a question of like which farmers do want to get into it. No, we all need to get to make sure that our, our farms or uh, uh, yeah or our industry becomes climate uh, climate neutral or more climate positive that we uh, protect the environment better uh, and so on and so on um, 
and and the, yeah, that question comes from society as well is only more is only normal but the question then to ask back is okay but we obviously need to include all externalities but right now we're not getting the fair price for it um the true price the true cost of what we have so so i think it it might not be the most most sustainable way to set it up that companies pay because they they want to ha- offset things or because they want to advertise things but that the most sustainable way to make sure that we um, have regenerative farming, that we restore what we want to restore, that we become more climate positive, is to get it through the chain and make the consumer pay for it. To me, that is not strange or antisocial. I'm not talking about doubling prices of uh, of Mondelez cookies or Tesco prices. I'm talking about a small surplus, which most consumers, certainly in our countries, will be. Able, I'm talking Western Europe here, will be able to 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 pay for. To me, that is actually the, the most reasonable way. But then we need policy adaptations, of course. When I hear talking, okay, we need to convince consumers to pay for something. Do we really want to, do we think it's it's normal that we should convince consumers to to pay uh, or to, to pay the, the price that for climate change? Do we think that is normal? I don't think so. I don't think it should be a choice for consumers to choose or not choose for biodiversity. To me, that is strange. Thank you, Brian. Very interesting uh, responses from the panel to that. Um, I did wonder idly and probably intellectually lazily during the last couple of years of uh, enormous inflation, that could we not just have hidden the region transition premium in food price inflation? <laughs> There's been quite a lot of it around. Um, that's not a question you have to answer. But um, Natalie, uh, what do you think about anything you've heard in the last five minutes? Anything you'd like to add? Obviously, retail price and the amount of inflation that over the last well, 20, 18 months is under a huge amount of scrutiny. So to look to add any more costs from a retail perspective uh, is significantly challenging, I would say. So we, as testers, as a business, we have a very church in terms of our, our customer set. So we will have some people, and we have tiering in store to help to manage that. So we will have, you know, finance top tier, and then we'll have, you know, our good and our better tiers to support that so that customers have an opportunity to shop into those different tiers. And they will vary from a sort of quality and price perspective, but ultimately there are still fundamental standards that all customers expect and want in place to be able to purchase those products um, within Tesco. So I feel it's the the fair price uh, challenge from brand is is a really interesting one. We probably don't have time to debate in the last six minutes because what is a fair price? And I, you know, I've certainly had um, challenges in the past in terms of cost of production models that we've put in place um, with our farm supply chain, and then market prices increase, and the, our farmers are no longer interested in production price. So. I, that probably needs further scrutiny. I, I think there's a way we can better manage that. I do agree with Rob. I, I think that, you know, we we talk a lot in terms of backing um, as part of an enterprise on farm um, and all of the opportunities of all of the various businesses that may be interested from a, a carbon or a nature perspective. And I, I do think that is the right route forward. I think all of us, there's an opportunity for everyone within the food supply chain to to support that transition um but i i don't necessarily agree that all of that should come back to the retail price in store 
Well, we're all aware there's a lot of inefficiencies still in supply chains. We produced a report on smallholder agriculture about two and a half years ago that found there's an enormous amount uh, of value to be extracted from the supply chain that doesn't necessarily hurt anyone. It simply drives efficiencies. And all the focus in the literature and and activity we've found have been on the farmer and and the farm, but not enough. In the, in the distribution chain uh, and nobody would only there are only good things to be done by driving efficiencies there as far as we could tell so there's a lot lots more to explore there i'm going to give uh turn over to rob now and then i think i'll turn over to marie for a couple of closing comments and then to jens to, to close us out as we run out of time in the next few minutes rob just 10 seconds on the on this subject which is a is a sort of favorite subject of mine we mustn't lose sight of the different cost of food in different countries particularly between bram's country and mine so the uk is the third cheapest food in the world after the us and singapore an iceberg lettuce in london costs 70 pence in vienna it costs one pound 50 and in berlin it costs two pounds 70. so there's much less uh, we, we have much less slack in our system in the UK to, to find that extra money in the supply chain that should go to farmers. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Yes, um, I was going to make that point that when you see the sort of media analysis of UK food prices, it's, it's very different from some countries like France. But of course, as Natalie made the point, um, it's, there's a lot of politics involved in this, an awful lot of politics and uh, I share your I share your, your concern, Natalie, that Tesco might not have been allowed, shall we say, in inverted commas, to price in the Regen Premium uh, in the last couple of years in particular. Uh, right, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to turn over to Marie for some final comments on what you've heard, or in general, Marie, and then I think we'll hand over to, um, to Jens for some final comments uh, before we close out. Marie. Yes, I think one one closing comment is uh, is that uh, we do need uh, innovation uh, from uh, from a pesticide standpoint. Uh, re- reacting to what uh, Jens was referring to earlier, we have uh, huge constraints as an as a manufacturer on climate, on biodiversity, and today we are feeling in a way that we do not have the innovation required to be able to uh, progress uh, even from a to progress significantly at a decent price. This is a big, big uh, issue in wheat farming, and we really hope that we will uh, benefit from the great innovations that will come up uh, on the ground soon in order to really drive a change of paradigm for all the actors uh, in the chain. And I think my second uh, closing remark is uh, really reacting to Bram, what Bram said at the beginning around feeling uh, that we are one big chain together. Uh, I think uh, everything we said today resonated super well in that direction. And I feel today we uh, try each of us to act and to to really bring all of us together to to progress. Uh, I think we are going in the right direction. There's willingness to 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 push forward, but clearly uh, we need we need some some drive. We need some drive from from every single part of the chain. Uh, I think we uh, started that transition quite efficiently. Uh, and hopefully all the legislations that will come in the very near future, 2024 is a year where multiple publications of legislation at the European level will come, that will drive and accelerate even more progress. Excellent. Thank you, Marie. A rousing final note uh, in conclusion uh, from you. So thank you for that. Uh, Jens, let me turn over to you for the the final minute or so. Um, What have you learned in the last hour? Um, 
where would you like us to continue this conversation? How can we do so? Love to hear your thoughts, Jens. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you, Toby. Um, what have I learned and what, what has been sort of also been reconfirmed? Now, first of all, the approach towards sustainability and our regenerative act is, is, is it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. It really depends on the situation. I think we heard very well from Bram, from you, from Rob, the, the the various the various challenges and situations you're dealing with um, you're, you're dealing with farming and also you're dealing with in the value chain so th there's no no one size uh, solution we need we need innovation um, we need a systems um, approach from products to systems and of course very very important and and Marie I, I thank you for for the comments um, just now that we really need the the absolute absolute commitment to um to partnerships to to collaborations and and i i just think um the last hour again has been a, a fantastic testimony that that ultimately we, we we all strive for the for the same outcome we all strive for for the same same um solutions going forward being fully aware of the of the challenges we face in in our society that we need to produce more with less that we need to create that impact we have a growing growing world population and we have the the um the the climate change being a massive creating a massive impact on the on the overall productivity and and that challenge we can only overcome by by working together in the entire chain um, with with fantastic partners like like you over here in the in the panel so so Tori, i thank you i thank the innovation Thank very much for 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 hosting that 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 opportunity we have had just now, and I'm as I said very very confident that that in true partnership in the in the true spirit of working together across the value chains, having our 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 farmers farmers in the in the center of everything we do, we we will succeed and and advance towards towards the the targets of regenerative agriculture. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jens. Well, well, we started on time, so let's finish on time. Uh, we'll be in touch about next steps. We want to do more of these. We already do more, but uh, we'd love your feedback on how we can improve them. We certainly want to try and put some together some outputs from this session, which we hope might contribute towards taking discussions further towards practical outcomes in the shift towards regenerative agriculture. Thank you so much, Bram, for giving up your time. Natalie, thank you, Rob. Also, Marie, and particularly Jens and your colleagues at Bayer. Thank you all so much for joining us. Audio recording will be available and we'll look forward to being in touch with you very soon about what we plan to do next in this space. In the meantime, have a wonderful day. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>